0: And we are in a series called Generations. We've been covering things, everything from kids to teens last week. So if, if you missed that, you can go back and listen to it. Uh, NewBranch.tv is our YouTube site. You can watch it or pick up CDs on it. Uh, today we're going to talk about middle-aged. And then next Sunday we're going to talk about mature. Mature. How's that? We changed the word because uh, Debbie McCluskey, we, I told them that last week, Debbie, Debbie said, I'm very offended at you for calling it elderly, but people that have more years behind them than ahead of you and you don't know when that is, but, but, the, but the point of this is it's more of a season of life, but here's what I know, looking at the scripture is that I believe that God has a plan and it, the best days of your life might be that season of life, and so we want to talk about what God's plan is for that. But today we want to talk about middle aged, and I, I got a couple pictures for you and you can see which one you relate to. Uh, for the ladies in the room, that you might relate to this lady. I don't know, because when they get middle-aged, they don't like being middle-aged, right? And, so, so, and, then, and then part of that is the hormonal thing, and I just wanted to get that out of the way real quick, you know, because you come in here, and you're trying to pick a temperature, and, and you'll know if you're hitting that stage, because it'll be one minute, it's an oven, right? And the next minute, it's, um, my wife had hormonal problems early, so I do understand this. And then the next minute, it's a meat locker, and you can't solve the problems so that are like, what are we going to do about the temperature problem in the room? And I'm going, I don't know, because half the people are burning up, half the people are freezing to death, and uh, so I don't know what to tell you on that one. But, uh, but, but all joking aside, ladies face midlife crisis as well. But guys, we do, we do too, and one of the things, and I love this because that's from the movie Wild Hogs, <laughs> uh, is that guys, when they hit their midlife crisis, you know what they buy? A lot of them. Harley-Davidson, right? And, and so if you, you know anybody with a Harley-Davidson, you can raise your hand if you know somebody. They had a midlife crisis, okay? Just so you know. That's what that was about, and it doesn't fix things, and it's try, trying to get, yeah, everybody's mad at that, but right? it's true. It's true. It's true. I'll just leave it at that, but, uh, and there's other things that, that can, be, can be signs of it, and we laugh about it, and we go, hey, it's, it's, a, it's a stage in life, but here's the thing. I don't think we take this as seriously as we need to. Because i got to tell you, looking at the scriptures and looking at different examples, we're going to give one example today, but there is a warning for those of you in midlife. Because it's something where you go, I finally kind of arrived, and we start to get comfortable with the way things are, and then we get a little bit bored, or there's other reasons why these things come up, and all of a sudden, you see people in this stage of life make the greatest mistakes of their lives. You would think that the greatest mistakes were made when you were young. Now, honestly, some of them have been, but we wouldn't survive middle age if, you know, just by luck or God or whatever is the reason why we even made it to to midlife. But some of the greatest sins, some of the greatest dangers, some of the things that will alter your life forever happens at middle age. And I believe there's a warning here today. So so I want to be careful. I don't want you to think we're going to go negative on you this morning. That's not the intention. But it is to say this. Please take this seriously. Because if you don't, it can destroy your life. I want to give you an example from the Bible. We've used it before of King David. Um, and for those of you that know King David, you probably, you've probably heard this story, maybe. If you haven't, that's fine. But David was the one that killed Goliath, just for those of you that didn't know. And as I looked at this story, I went, hey, we've covered this story a couple years ago. But I thought, it's so prevalent and it's so easy to go, no, that's not me. And I want you to pay attention because, because there's a pattern here in the life of David that I go, one, it's a warning, it's something that can be avoided, but it's also something that when, when you have a midlife crisis or when you fall, it's not if, it's when, what do you do? And David shows us and he gives us an example from the word of God on how to do that. So, so if you want, you can turn with me to 2 Samuel chapter 11. Now, in your outlines, I made a typo. It's my fault, not Marie's. I just want to make sure I'm clear on that. <laughs> Uh, I, I put 1 Samuel, and I don't know why, but anyway, it's 2 Samuel 11. If you want to read 1 Samuel, I'm sure you can, but it's not the same story. So, 2 Samuel chapter 11, if, if you'll turn with me, and we're going to cover quite a few scriptures today, but, but I think you'll see why. 2 Samuel chapter 11, verse 1, it says this In the spring, at the time when kings go off to war, David sent Joab out with, the, with his king's men and the, and the whole Israelite army. And they destroyed the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah. But David, if you could do something for me, if you could circle that word, but. But David remained in Jerusalem. I want to pause there because because I know some people have vilified him here. I don't want to vilify David here because there's nothing wrong with delegating responsibility. There's nothing wrong with certain stages of life saying, you know what? I've got people that I've trained and David did. David was a warrior king. He was a poet warrior king. He wrote. He was a passionate man. He did all kinds of things. But it says that David remained in Jerusalem. And, and the first principle I want you to see is this. If you want to know what to do when you hit a midlife crisis, there's a couple things you've got to understand. And the first thing you've got to understand is this, that sin doesn't just happen. Okay? Okay? You can write that down if you want to. Sin doesn't just happen. Understand that. That it has to do with patterns in your life. And David had some patterns in his life that were unhealthy. Uh, One is he had uncontrolled passion. He was a very passionate man by nature. And passion is a great thing. But passion uncontrolled can be a terrible thing for you. But the biggest thing that I see in the life of David is this is that he didn't have accountability, or the accountability that he did have wasn't good accountability. Because there's something worse than not having accountability. It's having accountability with people that you shouldn't, that don't give you good advice, or that the relationship is based on some dark secrets. And that's what David had in his life. Now, at this point, you're probably going, I don't really see what the problem is. But when I let this story unfold, you'll go, he would give anything to go back to this moment and change. So I want to show you a pattern of how you can change. If you you think you're falling, that this can stop at any time. And on on your outlines, it says stop and look below. Now, it doesn't mean the verses below. It means flip the page over. So if you guys would flip the page over just for a minute, I want to go through something that you do when you face this now it's going to seem strange at first and the reason it'll seem strange is because right now you're feeling like well I don't think there's a big problem but this is where the problem started he didn't have these things and it could have stopped here and he didn't have to go through all that can I tell you something a an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure have you ever heard that but let me tell you something it is the hardest thing to do in the world because we operate in crisis mode best, don't we? We only respond when there's a crisis. But when the crisis comes, we go. I wish I could go back to that moment and change the pattern. And here's what he could have done. So if you flip the page over, here's what he could have done, okay? Number one, if you, if, what to do when you fall. Admit to God, yourself, and a trusted person, the exact nature of your wrongs. That's what he could have done. Now, what's wrong? He didn't have accountability. Is that wrong? Yeah. It's wrong. Because what do you think? You don't have sin in your life? You don't think David had sin in his life? You You think he was perfect? And a lot of people right here go, no, I'm pretty good. I'm flowing along in life, and I'm good. I don't need those other people, and I know more than everybody, and it's classic middle age. Can I tell you how old David was here? He was around 50 years old. And he had a, a tremendous amount of success. And people had called his name, and David has killed his tens of thousands. David had killed Goliath. He had 30 mighty men. He had done great and mighty works. And so he was a legend in his own time. Can I say something else? He was a legend in his own mind. <laughs> That's dangerous. So you're saying, what is he admitting to? Unhealthy patterns. Because it's nice when you stop it as a pattern. You just don't see it as being that, and, and with a trusted person. So let me give you two verses. 1 John 1, 9 says this, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. You know what the first thing we've got to do? Confess. You know what the problem is? Is that back here, it doesn't seem like a big deal, so we don't want to go there. But when you see this story unfold, I've got to tell you something. You're going to go, I wish I could go back there and confess back here when, my, when the pattern was unhealthy and I didn't rip my life apart. Okay, that's number one. The second one is what? Yourself and then to a trusted person. James 5.16 says, Therefore confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. You know what James is saying? Not just to God. Now, a lot of people say that. But James didn't teach that, did he? Why? Because it makes it real. See? See? God uses other people in our lives, and you cannot be objective with you. Me and Jesus, I hear this all the time, and especially in our culture. Me and Jesus got our own thing going. Can I tell you where that's going? Can I tell you how far this thing goes down? Let me show you where it goes with David. And if you think you're better than him, let me tell you what God called David. A man after his own heart. Is that you? You, you want to compare to that? That the line and the lineage of Christ was chosen through David. You better than him? And watch how far he falls. Don't think you're better than that. Okay? Admit it to God, to yourself, and to a trusted person. It could stop, it could have stopped right here for David. Okay. Number two, re- receive God's forgiveness. This only seems great when, when it's so bad, but you could receive God's forgiveness right here. I said first John one 5, nine, it says confess your sins, and he's faithful. What is he? Faithful and just to forgive your sins. And then purify you from all unrighteousness, that's number two. Receive God's forgiveness. Number three, number three, submit to God's restoration process. You see, a lot of people stop, but even in 1 John 1, 9, it says purifies from all unrighteousness. Let me tell you something about purification. <laughs> you ever been purified? <laughs> hmm? It's usually done by fire. <laughs> Not fun, okay? <laughs> um, submit to God. Now, now, at this stage, we don't want to do that because we're way up here. And everything in you through this whole process is going to fight against that, going, no, it's okay, it's not a big deal. It is a big deal. And he's saying, submit to God and to his process. First Peter 5, 6 says, humble yourself, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time humble yourself that is the magnet of God and pride will keep you from doing all these things can I tell you what David's problem was he had so much pride he didn't submit to God he had uncontrolled passion he had no accountability and he was set up for failure if that's you that's where you're going stop here if that's you today stop here and it doesn't have to go any further now that's not real exciting okay if I preached a message just on this and said, and he avoided the major catastrophe in his life, everybody would go, mm, that's not so great, unless you've had it. And then you would say anything to wave the banner and say, I wish I had known that. I wish I hadn't done that. I wish I hadn't destroyed my life and everybody else's life. And in David's case, an entire nation. Okay. <laughs> so, but he didn't listen, okay? This is what makes the story exciting. All right. right, Second Samuel 11, verse 2. One evening, David got up around the same time from his bed and he walked around the roof of his palace. So he's kind of, it's one of those scenes where he gets up and I don't know what's going on in David's mind. I don't know what's going on in your mind, but he's home alone. You get the picture? No more dangerous place that you could ever be than trapped in your own mind, waking up from your sleep. And there's several thoughts that go through my mind on David. He wakes up irritable, restless, and discontent. I guarantee it. You know why I know? Because David, I, have, I can almost guarantee you, he had post-traumatic stress, right? He had slain Goliath. He had been chased down by King Saul. At one point, he acted like a madman at the gates of, of the Philistines. He had worked for the Philistines. He had somebody chasing him. He had killed so many people. Can you imagine what his dreams were like? How do you think he woke up? What do you think he looked for? Can I ask you guys? What do you look for, if that's you guys? He looked for something to look at, something to escape in. Is that right? And so he's looking across. Anybody think any good can come from what he's looking for here? (laughs) We know, right? A place of escape. From, From the roof he saw. You want to circle that word? He saw a woman bathing, and the woman was very beautiful. Now, some people say, why is she bathing on the roof and all this kind of stuff? That's just what they did in those days. Nothing wrong with it. It's just something. And, and he glanced and he saw it. Let me be clear. There's nothing wrong with seeing something that's, that's not right. It's not, not nothing wrong unless you're looking for it, okay? That's the other part of this. Can I tell you what sin starts with? Sin starts with a thought. It really does. It plays out in the mind first. And David is looking for something to escape into, and he found it, <laughs> And it's not the first glance that got him, get it? It, it, You know, a bird can fly over your head, but you don't have to let them build a nest in it, get it? It's the second glance that destroys. Let me tell you the other reason why I think that this is a pattern for David. Because David had uncontrolled passion in his life. He had had problems with women for a long time. He had multiplied his wives, and you may not think that's a big deal. He had multiple wives, and God didn't say much about it, but it was not pleasing to God wasn't. David had skirted that issue because he didn't control his passion and and he kept all these wives. And let me tell you something about that. When you don't control your thought life, when you let your thoughts go to some place, it's only a matter of time. That's why I just got to be real honest. It's the reason why pornography is so damaging. You might not think it, but I know I've struggled with it in my life before. And what happens is this, the way you look at people after you, you view that, bad. Can I tell you something? It's not just for men. Women read erotic material or, or they, they do it in different ways. But, but what happens is, is you flirt with disaster. And before long, it only takes a combination. And he found something to fixate his mind on. Now, let me tell you something. If this is where you're at, it can stop right here. You want to know how? You're going to get sick of me saying this. But I pray and I hope that if this is you, that this is what you'll do. You'll flip that page over okay? Flip that page over. And what's the pattern? Stop, right? Admit to God, to yourself and to a trusted person. Now, let me tell you something. When it's just a thought, this is why I tell you it's going to be so hard. When it's just a thought, how many think David wants to call somebody up and say, hey guys, I just saw a woman and I'm really thinking about doing something bad. You don't want to do that, do you? I saw something on my computer and it's making me want to go to that. See, no accountability. Nobody's, nobody's listening to this. Nobody wants to say that. It's not a big deal. Just act like it don't exist. Just put your mind on something else. How many think that's going to work? It doesn't, right? Because now you got a secret, and you like that because it's the forbidden fruit kind of thing. Can I tell you something? He knew this lady. Did you know that? He did. This lady was a relative of somebody that was in his 30 mighty men. The 30. And, and, her, and her grandfather was on David's advisory council. That's sick, isn't it? Let me tell you something. It's sick because he wanted it to be sick. He's looking for something forbidden. And it goes, hey, it could have stopped here if you had somebody trusted. This is why it's so important to have these relationships. Because you won't ask for it then. You need somebody asking you. But David had nobody to be accountable to. What else? Receive God's forgiveness. Submit to God's restoration process. And it could have stopped right there. That's where you're at. It can stop right there. But it didn't. The third principle is this, covering up sin only makes it worse. Did you know? Covering up sin only makes it worse. Covering up the thought, but also the act. 2 Samuel 11 verse 3 says this, and David sent someone to find out about her. <laughs> so now, now he's inquiring. Tell me about her. He's kind of obsessed with her. He's letting his passion get away from him. And he's going to go find out about her. Can I tell you something that could have stopped right there? That could have woke him up, and he could have said, I'll stop. But he didn't, verse 4, as many of us don't. Then David sent a messenger to get her, and she came to him. Even then, he could have stopped. Can I tell you that? Very hard, though, once, once, to, once it gets in motion. Very hard to stop. But he could have got her there and said, oh, whoa, what are we doing? Let's stop this. She's married. Get it? Her husband's off at war where he's supposed to be. <laughs> and she came to him and she slept with and he slept with her huh. the act you know a lot of times it feels almost surreal to people i can't believe that it happened but understand it doesn't just happen it was a sequence of events hmm. it was an unhealthy pattern started in a thought life and it played out into an actual action but at this point right here he could have stopped he could have flipped the page over let me tell you something let me, tell you what, let me tell you where we go right here. What we say right here is, we go, but if I were to say something now, it would destroy everybody's life. So let's just keep this in, in secretive. All right? is this how pornography gets us? I don't want to talk about this because it could destroy so many people. I don't want to talk about me flirting with somebody at work or flirting with disaster or this thing happened one time and what does it hurt and nobody needs to know about it and let's keep that stuff covered up. <laughs> and by the way, that's what he did. So he's like, man, I don't want to destroy a family. And he started to think about, hey, what is this going to do to me? What is it going to do to my reputation? What is it going to do to God? What is it going to do to her family? Verse 5, the woman conceived and sent word to David saying, I'm pregnant. We're going to forget about it. Can't forget about it. Now, Now there's a baby, and it's your fault. Can I tell you something about sin? It has consequences, and not just for you. This is big. Sin has consequences, but not just for you. For her husband, for the kingdom, for this lady, for this baby. It has consequences. Verse 6. So David sent the word to Joab, send me Uriah the Hittite. Joab was his man. You want to know why Joab was his man? This is what I talk about inner circle. Joab was David's man. They were brothers to the bone. You want to know why? Because they had six secrets they knew about each other. Joab was a war-hardened general. He understood war. He didn't care. He didn't even ask. He could care less. (laughs) But he was the closest person to David. Then David said to Uriah, Go down to your house. He's talking about this lady's husband. He wants him, and and through a series of events, he gets Uriah to come back, go sleep with her, and then we can act like it's your baby, and that way the life of the baby doesn't have to be affected, and I don't have to be affected, and you don't have to be affected, but Uriah wouldn't go to her. (laughs) In fact, it says that. We're skipping kind of around, so you can go back and read it in its entirety. But verse 9 says this, But Uriah slept at the entrance to the palace, Uriah did not go home. If you read the rest of it, what it says is David actually got him drunk and made him stay in the palace, and then he said, now go home to your wife. And Uriah wouldn't go home, and you know what his reason was? And I know it probably burned David up. My troops are in the field. I wouldn't go home to my wife and sleep with her when all my friends are out there fighting right now. (laughs) Talk about the height of hypocrisy. David's at home not at war and later on you find out that he goes to that place and they put the crown of the victory on David as if he did something get it as he tries to get this man and then because this guy doesn't do it David does this verse 14 in the morning David wrote a letter to Joab see David knew some stuff about Joab so he wasn't afraid to ask him. Be careful who you make your inner circle. Be careful who you're confiding in. Get it? Because your inner circle will make you or break you. A great inner circle would have said, what are you doing? But that's not Joab. Joab goes, yeah, you know, now I know something on you. I'm glad to know it. I'm glad to do this thing. What was it that he asked him to do? Here's what he asked him to do. Verse 15. In it he wrote, put, put Uriah in the front Where the fighting is fiercest. Then withdraw from him so he will be struck down and die. (laughs) You see, the nation is more important than this individual. You see what sin does to you? It it takes you further than you'll ever want to go. It really does. And, And it makes you justify things that you normally wouldn't, but he's going, for the good of the nation, it's better if this one man would die. You know? And then, and then he dies a hero and everything's okay and everything can get back to normal kind of thing. And that's what happens. Look what happens. Verse 17. When the men of the city came out and fought, Uriah the Hittite died. Now David had killed many people. You'd have to kill people to understand how, how you get used to being around death that way. Joab, it was just another person. He's seen hundreds of soldiers and ordered hundreds of soldiers to go to their death. But I have a feeling David, because he was a man of God, felt so guilty. And the guilt ate him up within him. But you suppress that guilt and you lie to yourself and you say, I'm doing this for the good of everybody else. Can I tell you something? It could have stopped right here. It could have stopped right here. Now you're thinking, how much worse could it get? It's better just to not talk about that stuff now, right? It's better just to let that stuff die with Uriah. You got an evil plan, but now it's better for everybody else and you just feel your guilt and you suppress it. Can I tell you what should have happened? Flip the page over. See, Admit to God and to yourself and to a trusted person. Let me explain this trusted person thing here, though. Because you're not smart enough to know how to interact with this. I've seen people go out and after this they decide to confess to everybody they hurt and they do more damage. Get it? That's where that trusted person comes in. There is a restoration process for God and there's a way to receive his forgiveness. But understand this, it's not up to you to determine how and when and all that. It's not just about you feeling better and dumping all that stuff off of you. I've seen it a thousand times understand you need that person, you need people that can do that, and that's why it's so important to have accountability. It's one of the reasons why we say you need a small group, because one day you'll be here. It's not if you fall, it's when you fall. And middle-aged people, pay attention, okay? Pay attention, because you think you're going to glide through the problems you have in life, and Satan is doing his greatest work by saying, yeah, I've left you alone, and you haven't felt the consequences, but you will. It will happen, but David didn't do that, and he thought he got by, and it's going, well, it's, you know, I feel guilt, and I'm ate up with guilt, but it's better for me to feel the guilt than it is to admit it to an, to my entire empire and have everything fall that God has given, and it's better for this lady so that she can live with me, and he brought her, and he did all these things. In fact, he thought he got by with it. Can I tell you something, though? Sin, sin will break your relationship with God. And I'll tell you something out of all the things this may be the worst. Can I tell you the worst part about hell? You want to live in a in a living hell? This is what it is. Sin will break your relationship with God. You're too busy covering up to know it though. And you're trying to cover everything up. Understand he hasn't he, he's feeling bad, but he hasn't confessed it to God. Okay. Second Samuel 11 verse 27, after the time of mourning was over, David had her brought to his house and she became his wife and she bore him a son. It's all covered up. It's better off for everybody that we just don't talk about this. But, you want to circle that word? But, but the thing David had done displeased the Lord. Now that might be the most underwhelming thing that I've said. That should strike fear into anybody's heart. You see, you see, it started with a but, didn't it? Everybody went off to war and was doing what they were supposed to, but David. Check it out here. Everybody thinks everything's okay, but God. And some of us are pretending and playing this out, and it's not a big deal, and it's going to hurt everybody if we go any further. But God is displeased. And if you had a relationship with God, you would know he was displeased. But if, here's the the excuse, if I were to say it now, think of the damage it would do. You want me to say it or you want me to flip the page over? It could have stopped here. admit to God admit to a trusted person admit to yourself the exact nature of your wrongs and then do what? receive God's forgiveness and submit right here is where it's all pride you might not think it you might not think it but this is all pride saying I want to cover that up and I have to make sure my image is covered (laughs) can I tell you something? maybe you've experienced what I have in my life and that is pastors that have fallen. Anybody had that happen? I have. Or trusted friends or whatever else. And you're going, I don't understand how that somebody like that could get up like I'm doing this morning and preach week after week with that kind of stuff inside them. Can I tell you why? i had some time to think about it, and I've got some counsel on that. And here's why. Here's how they can do that. Because you're going, I got so much out of their messages. Yeah. Because what they got very good at is, is taking the word of God and giving it out and got very good at the art of preaching. Okay, But you know what they stopped doing? They stopped taking it in. Okay, They stopped having accountability. Can I tell you why it's so important? These people that think they're so great that they don't need anyone else, that I'm a, I'm a, I'm a church of one, me and Jesus got our own thing going. You're going to get very good at the art of whatever it is you're doing and you're going to fall, and when you do, you're not even going to know what hits you because you never admitted to God. You never admitted to yourself. You never admitted to a trusted person. You never based it on real stuff. Can I tell you something? There's a lot of things this church isn't about, The one thing is this, it's not being phony. There's a reason why we don't want a lot of production. Some is good, and I understand the parts where we got to invite and welcome and all those things, but the day it becomes about a show, man, you've missed it. And you'll do so much damage in those moments to yourself and to everybody else. You know what else? You know what the bigger thing is? You're missing God's forgiveness. See, you might think this is about guilt. It's not. It's about saying that person is completely and utterly ate up with it. And he's missing God's forgiveness. And submitting to God's process. Nothing could be worse than that kind of moment. The final thing I want you to see is this, that sin, sin will break your relationship with God and then it will destroy, it will destroy your life. Sin will destroy what life you have left. Can I tell you who wants to destroy your life? Satan. And this is the greatest way he can do it. And I see it happen with people that are 40 years and above, 50 years and above. Let me tell you something. We're not worried because we go, we got it. We we understand it. And we're at the most dangerous, vulnerable spot in the entire world. Let me tell you what happens to David. Nathan, the prophet, comes to David. The Lord sends the word to Nathan. This is, you can read about it, uh, 2 Samuel chapter 12. <laughs> I, I can't even imagine being Nathan the prophet. You're having to appear before David. Now, now, you do understand who David is, right? He's the one that killed Goliath as a 15 year old. And since then, he has been the greatest warrior that Israel has ever known. And you're about to go into him to tell him you've sinned. So he does what a great man does. Think about this. If you have to present something for somebody, you know what he does? Instead of talking about David, he tells him about somebody else. It's always easier to see in somebody else. So he tells him this story, and he makes it as if the story is real. And he said, there's a, there's, there's a great farmer in your nation that's very wealthy, and he has thousands and thousands of sheep. You can go back and read it for yourself. (laughs) And then there's this one guy that only has one little lamb. And this great shepherd saw it, and he takes it for himself, and and he kills it, and he offers it up on the table to his friends to eat it. And before he's even done with the story, David is livid. Can I tell you something about the guilty heart? The guilty heart will make you harsher. When you see somebody respond harsh about somebody else's sin, oftentimes it's an indicator You are covering it up. I don't even think David at this point, because it had been so long, even realized why he was reacting the way he did. But he reacted angry, and let me know who he is, and I'm going to put him to death, and we're going to make this thing right for this guy's family. Let me tell you what Nathan says. You can turn with me if you want to. 2 Samuel 12, verse 7. Who is this person? Then Nathan said to David, You. You. You are the man. Ugh. You are the man, David. You're talking about everybody else. And can I tell you something? For the guilty heart, this is the moment that was feared the most. It is. Because the guilty heart's doing everything to cover it up. Get it? Everything about my life has been to cover this up. And I don't want to make it bad for everybody else. And it's the reason why if you get too close to somebody that's guilty... The reason why, they don't want to be in personal relationships because they're pushing everybody out because if you found out what was inside, get it? In his greatest fears, Nathan is pointing his finger right here. Then Nathan said to David, you are the man. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. I anointed you king over Israel and I delivered you from the hand of Saul. Verse 8, I gave your master's house to you and your master's wives into your arms. He's talking about King Saul when he died. He got several of King Saul's wives, and and he got several of King Saul's family. I gave you all of Israel and Judah. (laughs) And if all this had had been too little, can you underline that? If all this had been too little, I would have given you more. Can you underline this? God is teaching us some psychology here. You know what he's saying? It's never enough for you. Can I tell you something about this void? When when you're doing what David is doing, some of us understand, because no matter how much you do for lust, it will never fill it up. No matter how many drugs or alcohol or whatever you take, it's never enough. And that's what God's saying. You know what? Nothing can fill your life, David. I could have, but you didn't let me. You went for the forbidden fruit, and it's not helping, is it, David? Some of you understand. Verse 9, why did you despise the word of the Lord? By doing what is evil in his eyes. You struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword and took his wife to be your own. Man, when you say it, it just sounds horrible, doesn't it? You killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. Now, therefore, the sword will never depart from your house. Can I tell you something? There's consequences to sin. And the sword never departed from David's house. Did you know that? He had children that killed other children. It's a fact. The empire was messed up that day. Because you despised me and took the wife of Uriah the Hittite. How many times has God got to say it? He kept calling her, you took her as your wife, it isn't your wife, it's his. And she kept saying his name over and over, you get it? Verse 11, this is what the Lord says, out of your own household I am going to bring calamity on you. Before your very eyes I will take your wives and give them to the one who is closest to you. know who that is? His son Absalom would sleep with his wives in broad daylight. In fact, that's what it says. He's prophesying over David. This is a horrible prophecy. Before your very eyes, I will take your wives and give it to the one closest to you, and he will sleep with your wives in broad daylight. 2 Samuel 12, verse 12. You did it in secret. You want to circle that word secret? But I will do this thing in broad daylight before all. Circle. I will do it before all of Israel. You see, God is saying, be sure your sins will find you out. Can I say it differently? You're only as sick as your secrets. You're only as sick as your secrets. And and everybody's thinking, stop, right? Please stop this. This doesn't sound like a message of hope, but it is. It really, really is. But there's a warning here, especially for those of us that are middle-aged. If we're thinking we can live with one foot in the world and one foot with God, he's going, it ain't going to work out that way. And one day, all these things you think that are secret, they will play out for real in front of everybody. Everybody afraid like I am? Yeah. Where's the hope, John? Can I tell you something about David? David. There was a sense in him that his greatest fear was realized. But can I tell you about people that are found out? There's also a relief. I've talked to a bunch of people as a pastor. Some people that have been arrested and they go, I kept going down this bad path and I kept going down this bad path and finally it was more of a relief than anything when I was finally found out. Did you know that? And some of you are here and you're going, I wish somebody would just find me out. And you don't have to wait. But let me tell you about David's response because it is, it is the best response and it's what made him a man after God's own heart. You know, Saul didn't sin any worse than David. That's not why Saul was, was not blessed and David was. It's David's response. When he fell about as low as you can fall, <laughs> he said this. Then David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan replied, The Lord has taken away your sin, and you are not going to die. Now, don't hear me wrong, guys. The consequences of David's action in this life were tremendous. And all the things that God said would happen did, including the baby died, including his son Absalom did all these horrible and despicable things, and he lost two children in the process, and he came back never quite the same. But with all that said, let me tell you something. God loved him. And I want to make sure you hear what's being said here today. God, no matter what you've done, no matter how far you've fallen, God loves you right where you are. And he says, I forgive you. Because of the person of Jesus Christ, you can be forgiven. And here's what I want to ask you to do today, if you you will. If you'll just flip that page over. And understand, wherever you're at in the process, God is saying this. First off, you're the man. You're the woman. But not because he hates you. Because he's saying, I don't want you to run around with that guilt. And if you want to be free, then admit to God. Because if you confess your sins, he's faithful and just to forgive them because of the person of Christ. right? For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Receive that admit to God, admit to yourself and to a trusted person. What's the trusted person? That's called the church. That's why we have church. Get in a group. Make sure you have some people around you. It's going to take some a while to build it. And this process can stop at any point. Maybe you're at the first part. Maybe you're not. Maybe you're as far down as you can go. And you're going, I can't do it today. But the part I want you to see is not just the admitting, because I know how hard that is. But the other part I want you to see is this, receive God's forgiveness. Receive God's forgiveness. There is nothing like it. There's joy that comes even with all the horrible things that happened with David. The relationship was restored from God. See, you're going, what's so great? He had to go through all the bad stuff. Yeah, but he had God. See, it's not that bad things don't happen. It's that God will be with you if you'll only confess you'll only receive. And then humbly submit to God's restoration process. It's not if we fall, it's when. I want to pray over you today, so if everybody would just bow your heads and close your eyes. If you want to write in the margin, I'd like you to write one verse, Psalms 51. If this is you, I'd like you to look this verse up. And I'm going to read it today as a prayer, just some excerpts from Psalms 51. This is our prayer today. Have mercy on me, O God. This is what David wrote during this time in his life. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgression and my sin is always before me. Against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you are right in your verdict, and justified when you judge. Verse 7 says, Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. Verse 9 says, Hide your face from my sins, and blot out my iniquities. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence, or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of my salvation, and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Then I will teach transgressors your ways so that sinners will turn back to you open my lips Lord and my mouth will declare your praise you delight in sacrifice you do not delight in sacrifice or I would bring it my sacrifice O God is a broken spirit a broken and contrite heart you God will not despise Let's stand for prayer. Father, if it was by merit, Lord, none of us could stand. It's only by your grace. And it's so easy to see in David's life, and it's so despicable to see what sin does. But if we were looking the recesses of our own hearts, we go, man, we're only as sick as our secrets. And so, God, I just pray today over each one of us that we won't be so afraid of the guilt as we confess Because the solution to guilt is confession. And I pray, Lord, we can start that today. To go, you know what? Instead of covering up, we're going to confess. Instead of covering up, we're going to fess up. And we're going to have God come in and receive the joy that only he can give. And for somebody, God, i got to think it's a relief. Lord, wouldn't it be something if there's somebody here today, Lord, that could avoid this whole thing if they would have stopped with the unhealthy patterns and got some great people in their lives and had a relationship with you? We never celebrate avoiding it, but God, I pray we do. Because some of us, we never had to experience this kind of trauma in our life. Some of us, Lord, some people are right where David was at. And they're going, it's even worse. If I told you what was going on, you wouldn't believe how messed up this has gotten. God, I pray, Lord, help them to hear that God is saying, you know what? I forgive you, and I'll take away your sins. And I'll help you, and I'll be with you through all the pain and the turmoil, and I'll help you put the pieces back together again. Lord, please, help us with this today. I pray not only for the middle-aged people, but every person in the room, Lord, that we will take this to heart and we'll learn from your word, that we might bring you glory to your name, ultimately. Father, we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Guys, if anybody needs prayer today, we'll be here after the service. Please don't leave if, if you need prayer. For everybody else, God bless you. Have a great week. Lucky Land Casino, asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office.